0: right today we have a massive chunk of scripture to cover we are looking at mark chapter 9 verses 30 all the way to chapter 10 verse 31 over 50 verses for us to work through and This is not because I'm just trying to fly through our series but because every single bit that we are covering today seems to link back to one central theme that Mark wants us to know about. In fact, I would say that it's really important for us to study this as one block um, to really get a rich, deep understanding about what Mark was trying to teach us about one theme and that theme is the culture of the kingdom of God. All right, so I want you to keep in mind as we work through today's passage, what does the kingdom of God look like? What is the culture? of the kingdom. I suggest that you keep the actual text in front of you or perhaps stop the video, read through all the text first um, just so that uh, you can keep track because I am going to skim through a bit of uh, the text or or go pretty quickly through some of the text today. Let's pray because I really want uh, the teaching today to sink in into each and every one of our hearts. Dear Jesus, I pray that as, your, as we read your word, as we unpack your word, that it is truth to us, it illuminates our path. We want to know more about your kingdom. We want to know what we are choosing and what we are stepping into um, and, and, and what it means for us. We pray that it doesn't, uh, it's not just information about your kingdom, but it's actually going to be a transformative word for each and every single one of us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. All right, we start off with um, what is known as the second passion prediction. Uh, that Mark gives to us. And this is where Jesus predicts his death and what is going to happen to him. So we're starting Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. This was a private situation. Just remember that. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house, again private, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me." This is a teaching for his core disciples. Uh, The passion predictions are for his core disciples, and, and he teaches them plainly what is going to happen to him, but once again we find that the disciples don't understand it. But this time, they're actually scared to ask Jesus more about it and to ask for a further teaching on this prediction. Why are they scared? Well, through my study, it seems to be that uh, the disciples get the sense that they are dealing with something that is so beyond their comprehension. Jesus had already given um, one passion prediction and and it resulted in in Peter being rebuked. If you can uh, cast your mind back to that. And and maybe they were tired of being corrected. Maybe they were tired of being called out as lacking faith. Um, or, Or maybe they just simply went, you know what, this is bigger than I can understand. The result is this. They don't get it, but they're still following Jesus. And this can be our Christian walk sometimes. We don't always get what God is ultimately trying to achieve. In fact, I will put it forward that we never fully understand what God is trying to do. Even when it's being quite plainly taught to us or being given to us, sometimes in our understanding, we just go, No, I don't. I just don't get it. But if our response to our lack of understanding is to continue following Jesus no matter what the cost, that's a pretty good response. We can also see that as they continue on the journey, even though they don't fully understand where Jesus is heading or what Jesus is trying to accomplish, um, Jesus continues to teach and to unpack things to them. It might be that we don't fully understand everything about Christ, about what he's trying to achieve, but maybe as we continue on, on the way. In fact, I would say often it is on the way as we continue to trust, as we continue to put our faith in Him. Jesus continues to teach us. We are now being given the Holy Spirit that is guiding us in our everyday life, allowing us to understand more and more. (laughs) But uh, at all, it is true. The more I know, the less I understand. It is just like uh, I have this realization that that God's kingdom and His purposes are truly beyond my comprehension. And, and um, my, my, my hope for you is that you won't allow that to stop you from fully following Jesus because there's already enough evidence, I hope, that we have been placing in front of you that Jesus truly is Lord, that He is Lord of, of the elements, He is Lord of everything, uh, He is worth placing our trust and our hope in. Anyway, we find that the disciples have actually been arguing along the way after this passion prediction about who is the greatest. And so Jesus teaches them that in the kingdom, the servant is the greatest. A complete flipping around of the culture of day and age and in today's day and age as well. What does the kingdom look like? Well, upside down to us, apparently, when, when we can continue to look through the different aspects of the kingdom in today's study, most of it is probably really upside down to us. But I guess the question is, are, is the kingdom upside down or are we living in a very upside down world? Something for us to consider. Well, Jesus takes a little child and says, and says to the disciples, welcoming one of these kids is like welcoming me. What we need to understand is that children, little kids, um, in that day and age, in the ancient world, they were the least important. They were so unimportant. They had no power, no status, no rights. And as mentioned previously, uh, 40% of kids didn't even make it to adulthood. There was a high childhood mortality rate. These kids don't bring anything to the table. In fact... A child is a burden. Welcoming a child is welcoming a burden. It is to take on the dependency of the child. You now Beck and I have been in, on a journey, as many of you know, uh, of, of welcoming a child into our family through adoption at the start of this year and it has truly been a wonderful journey. We have uh, grown uh, as a family and, and it's really exciting. most days are uh, lots of fun, lots of laugh, and uh, uh, lots of laughter, lots of love, lots of cuddles and, and and it's really cool. But one of the things that is a clear highlight to me is that our kid is helpless. In fact, when we first got him, we we nicknamed him a sack of potatoes. Why? Because he can't move, he can't do anything for himself, he can't control his arms or his legs, he can't wipe the snot off his nose, he can't wipe his mouth to clean himself, he can't wipe his bum. In fact, you know, as babies do, they leave their poos in there until someone cleans them up. He is completely helpless Uh, you know, I have nephews and I've seen lots of babies around, but having full-time care of a child has really highlighted how God has created children to be completely dependent, completely helpless in and of themselves and completely dependent. And so when Jesus is talking about welcoming children into your life, it is saying, hey, in the kingdom, you take on the dependency of, of, of people. You, you, you give and, and, and you, you pour into those that have got nothing to offer to you. It is not about thinking, what can I get back? You know, in the Roman culture of the day and age, you, adoption did occur, but quite often what they would do in adoption is because there was an ulterior motive. They, they wanted to bring a child to be an heir, and so, they, uh, and so that their family name would continue, and there's all of these different aspects. But when Jesus was talking about this, He was talking about how in the kingdom, it is truly about serving other people, serving those that have got nothing to to offer back to you. In fact, this is a way that one scholar was putting it, the kingdom is not about thinking about how am I being welcomed into the kingdom, remember the disciples were arguing about who is greatest, who deserves this welcome, but it's not thinking about how am I welcome, but how and who do I welcome. This teaching is a prelude to the largest portion of teaching that Jesus gives in the book of Mark and they all demonstrate the culture of the kingdom. Let's continue reading because there's more to unpack. Uh, verses 38 to 41. Teacher says John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For one for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who does who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So here we have Jesus clarifying this this concept of the in-crowd and the out-crowd of the kingdom. The disciples took offense that someone was chasing out demons in Jesus' name, and they took offense at this man because he wasn't one of them. He's not one of us. He shouldn't be given the privilege of using Jesus' name to cast out demons. And apparently he was successful, which is quite an amazing thought that that he was not one of the 12 disciples commissioned to do what the 12 were, but he was doing the same work. Pretty crazy stuff. And my understanding of how Jesus saw the situation was to see the fruit of a man's work. He, he obviously had the faith to stand in Jesus's name and therefore, He would not be defaming Jesus' name in the next moment. The fact that God trusted this man with authority can be seen as this fruit of his faith. And this faith is, is all that we need to determine that you're not on the outside. I don't need to treat you on the outside. You are not my competition. And this is something that in the Christian world, we need to be so careful about that we don't become tribalistic and we don't become competitive amongst one another. We working together in faith, serving people and letting that fruit be uh, our calling card, if you will. See, Jesus goes on to say uh, that, uh, that, that, that anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. What, what that talks about is that serving someone a cup of water is uh, is such a small act of service, and so. Uh, uh, What the kingdom is about is about people serving other people. It doesn't matter who your status is. It doesn't matter what you get to offer and what you bring. You have your faith. uh, And according to the measure of your faith, live out that faith. Do what you see yourself being able to do. This man saw himself casting out demons in Jesus' name. He felt a call even in that day and age and was successful. Awesome. Jesus was like, fantastic. That man's fruit is, um, is all that we need to uh, to see. Let's not become so, so much about who's in, who's out, and, and who gets what position in the kingdom. Let's all see it as how are we serving people? Uh, how can we come alongside people that serve other people? That is what the kingdom is about. And let's continue verses 42 to 50. In chapter 9. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands uh, uh, and, and go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled and have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be shrine of hell where the worm that eat the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst yourself and be at peace with each other. It seems like Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about how to treat others in the kingdom. Remember, treating the little ones of the kingdom and this was possibly in reference to the man who was casting out demons or at least the teaching kind of just flows on from that passage and it seems that uh to some extent uh, jesus was correcting his disciples for stopping the man from acting out in faith they were causing him to stumble, which he was actually saying is pretty grievous, is a pretty grievous um, uh, situation because it's that if you do, if you cause one of these to stumble, you might as well just go drown yourself. Uh, that the kingdom is not about competition and and causing one another to stumble. Because if someone else stumbles, I gain from it. That is not the culture of the kingdom. Even though we have this dog-eat-dog world that we live in, where quite often we need to step on someone else in order to get a leg up. In the the kingdom is about how can i lift someone else up and and then from there Uh, Jesus uh, talks about different body parts that you might as well lose because it's better to enter into the kingdom uh, than to have um, two hands or two eyes or two feet. Uh, And and it brings to mind Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 19. Let me read this to you. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community in in, in Jewish writing when when lists are given quite often they're actually all talking about the same thing And, and the whole Of of Proverbs 16 to 19 is talking about a person who stirs up conflict in the community whether it is because of proud eyes lying tongue hands that are willing to shed innocent blood harder devices wicked schemes or feet that rush into evil whatever it is that is causing conflict in the community and, and, and this is prideful thinking. This is haughty thinking. This is competitive thinking. And Jesus is saying, get rid of that kind of thinking. Get rid of that kind of behavior, because that has no place in the kingdom. It's not about competition. It's not about position. It's about service of one another. And this kind of behavior, uh, this self-seeking, prideful behavior, Jesus talks about it as being outside the kingdom. You're being rebellious to the kingdom culture. And you're going to be placed outside. Jesus quotes Isaiah 66 verse 24 to highlight this when he talks about the worm and the fire. And and, and the context of Isaiah 66, go read this for yourself, is the new heaven and the new earth that God is wanting to bring. Isaiah 66 is the last chapter of Isaiah and is this prophecy about the end times, about the new uh, uh, heaven and a new earth that God is creating and it talks about what God's going to do and then right at the end there, it has this part about those that are not part of the kingdom will be cast out yeah, if you have this self-seeking, haughty behaviour you are showing that you have no place in the kingdom now, this is a pretty serious warning Jesus then talks about being salted with fire Jesus is calling us today as his disciples to live these radical lives, getting rid of these prideful, self-seeking behaviors. Instead, then, we should be seeking one another. Being salted by fire is this whole idea of of, of what are things that are going to be consumed by this fire. Uh, How is your life going to have this saltiness, this effectiveness? Well, by getting rid of these behaviors, it might mean sacrifice, getting rid of certain things in your life that perhaps uh, you've been living for or you've been uh, living according to, that gives you the sense of comfort, but it stops you from serving others. Well, Jesus is calling us to be salted with fire. Alright, so we come then to Mark chapter 10, and we'll start with the first 12 verses. Jesus then left that place and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him as was his custom. He taught them. Some Pharisees came to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It's uh, It's because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Here we have further teaching coming because Jesus is once again being tested by the Pharisees, and this time the topic is marriage. However, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about biblical marriage. There's so much that we can talk about there about divorce, uh, uh, what, what what the Bible allows uh, as situations for divorce, and there there are those, um, and and what marriage is meant to look like, and how do we build marriage, and and all of those topics are very big, heavy topics. But uh, but in the study that we are doing here i want to draw out the theme remember we're talking about the theme of the kingdom of heaven all these teaching all have the same link to the theme of the culture of the kingdom so why mark put this specific encounter right in there it's because marriage shows the kingdom Remember, we talked about this earlier, that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. There is meant to be this radical unity. And the Pharisees were testing Jesus because they knew that Moses allowed for divorce. They wanted to see what he was going to say about that. And in fact, what Moses seemed to allow was almost like no-fault divorce that, that that that. I would say, unfortunately, we have in our, in our culture today. See, in those days, men could find nearly any reason to divorce his wife. And this would range from adultery, which is, I guess, really serious. Um, but it could also go to, you burn dinner, you're not a good wife, I therefore divorce you. And Jesus explained that this kind of divorce was allowed by Moses because people's hearts were hard. Why did he say that their hearts were hard? Well, the divorce papers were instituted to protect women from men whose hearts were hard, in particular, because women were treated like objects in that day and age. So even here, we, we, we see that Jesus is, is very much uh, uh, wanting to protect women as well. Uh, uh, but without these divorce papers, who knows what these men would have done to rid themselves of their wife in order to live this frivolous hard-hearted lives that they wanted to live jesus goes on to indicate that this is not the intention of marriage in god's eyes the kingdom isn't about this self-seeking behavior we talked about that already but it's about unity It's about serving one another in marriage we're meant to be serving one another it is about putting each other's interest ahead of our own And it is important to note how Jesus reverses this idea about the Bible or or, or, Moses allowing no-fault divorce. Like I said, we're not going to go fully into it. Rather, I want to highlight what the kingdom culture should be. That we are in covenant unity with one another. The kingdom culture has this sense of really living for other people, living in a way that, that puts other people in front of ours. It is a very high and, and, and you know, let's, let's make it plain. It's difficult to live this way that Jesus is calling us to. Well, Jesus continues. We're not finished with that. So let's continue. Verses 13 to 16 of chapter 10. People were bringing little children for Jesus uh, to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let these little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. This passage brings us back to this whole uh, theme of children in the kingdom. Um, And and this time around, though, he speaks about children welcoming the kingdom, not just us welcoming children. Uh, Even though, you know, let's be really clear. Uh, He says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child. So there's this difference now. Now we are the child, now we are the children, and we are receiving the kingdom. So previously, we were talking about receiving children, receiving these dependents to serve. Now we're talking about being the dependent and receiving the kingdom. And this is really important because now realize that we have got nothing to offer the kingdom. We are the dependents and we understand our dependents receive the kingdom. We are going to explore that by using the next section And the final section that we're going to look at, verse 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, which was a sign of great respect. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now this uh, little phrase uh, uh, is, is a very famous phrase that, that, that the Jewish people have been brought, uh, bringing to mind, it's called the Shema, is like God alone. God uh, alone. Um, uh, God alone is good and then Jesus continues you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not give false testimony you shall not defraud honor your father and mother teacher he declared all of these I have kept since I was a boy Jesus looked at him and loved him one thing you lack, like, he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven come Follow me, then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Not just how hard is it for the rich. This time he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. I love this account. i preached from it many times. There's so many different facets that we can look at. But uh, I do just want to come right into the theme of the culture of the kingdom. And as I mentioned, this is about children receiving, being like a child receiving the kingdom. See, this man, he was a good man. He, He, by all accounts, was a very good man. He, he, did not, uh, he, he obeyed the Torah. He didn't break the law. And Jesus doesn't uh, uh, confront him on that. He doesn't say, no, 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 remember when you did that sin or remember when you did that. He actually goes ahead and just says, yeah, you know what, you, you, you've got that. And, and this is a very Jewish understanding. Obedience to the Torah brings blessing. Uh, and if you read through the Torah, you can see that before you I placed blessings and cursed, life and death, if you follow the Torah, you will get blessing. It seems that the blessing that this man has in his richness, in his life, comes from keeping the Torah. He truly is a good man. And yet, this man realizes that something is still missing, and Jesus points this out, something you lack. and And, and the thing that he lacks is this. His identity has become so wrapped up in this blessing, this wealth, this, his personal righteousness. Whereas the kingdom must be welcomed like a child, a dependent, like one who has got nothing to offer, uh, to, to in a way buy into the kingdom. This man didn't want to welcome the eternal kingdom. (laughs) Catch this. He did not want to welcome the eternal kingdom which he was asking for if it meant that he has to give away everything he has worked so hard for. His wealth, his righteousness, his identity, his position, his leadership perhaps. Other passages, other gospels talk about how he's a ruler as well. Jesus says to give all of that away to follow him. And this teaching shocks the disciples and it flips the understanding of the kingdom again. This very Jewish mindset of accumulation of of personal uh, 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 righteousness, personal blessing in this day and age, showcasing, showcasing how good a person that is. Jesus is saying it means nothing. You need to get rid of all of those things. You think you're a good person? Well, you know what? You have to receive the kingdom as though you, you, you're like one who hasn't earned the right to receive the kingdom. This is heart teaching. It really is heart teaching. when when, when you approach Jesus, when you approach the kingdom, when you approach life in general, do you approach it with a sense of, look at how good I am, or I think I am, you know, this is very pervasive thought, I'm not a bad person, I think I'm okay, I think I'm quite good. Well, the kingdom doesn't have that as um, as an entry point. The kingdom has as an entry point, the faith, this desire to receive the kingdom, As though you need every aspect of the kingdom, because we truly do need to have every aspect of the kingdom. Our titles, our aspirations, our dreams, our everyday life, putting that aside to follow Jesus. This has shadows of what Jesus spoke about in a previous uh, passage, talking about how if you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow Him. This is a clear picture of a person who isn't a bad person. He's a good man, but he was unwilling to leave everything he had accumulated in order to follow Jesus. The kingdom, the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom isn't one of people with their self-righteousness, with their self-seeking behavior, with their pride, but rather is about being the last It's about being the servant, it's about having this, I guess, true picture of where we really are at in the eyes of eternity and the eyes of the kingdom. God's not looking for people who think that they are righteous, but people that understand our need for a saviour and are willing to follow our Lord. Peter highlights that the disciples had followed Jesus and had given up so much. And Jesus highlights that, hey, for those who follow him, yes, there can be great blessings in this age. But it also comes with persecutions. But we have something to look forward to, eternal life in the age to come. Are you living for accolades and blessing in this age? Or are you truly living as though life can be found in this next age. It isn't about worldly status here, but it's about understanding kingdom and, and desiring so much of the kingdom that you're willing to give up a lot, especially in the eyes of the world in this day and age. So after hearing all this teaching about the kingdom, let me ask you, how do you perceive the kingdom? How do you perceive life? How are you welcoming the kingdom and how are you serving others? Can you welcome the kingdom like a child? These are big questions to consider, big questions to discuss in in our lift groups this coming week. I hope that there's been a blessing for you. Let me just pray and close uh, the session. Dear God, I pray that you give us hearts that are soft, that, that are willing to humble ourselves, to see ourselves as dependent children, with no status, nothing to offer to you. But God, that you would still embrace us, welcome us into your kingdom. I pray that you show us what life looks like to truly live according to your kingdom culture, what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to lift other people up, what it looks like to have radical unity, what it looks like not to be living in some kind of competition with others. God, I thank you that you are teaching us and that you are guiding us that we might not understand every aspect of your kingdom, but we can try one step at a time to simply follow you and you will open our eyes along the way. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for following along in this very dense or very packed, I should say, uh, session. Uh, Make sure you get into your live groups. It's going to be a great week.